The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so all of us understand that God would have us to give thanks, that God would have us to be givers. And that, that's what God uh, compels uh, this church here in Corinth. And in chapter 8, he reminds them uh, of the example of the church of Macedonia, who in their uh, poverty, they gave liberally, who didn't have a lot, but they gave from what they had. I mean, know that even in politics, uh, it's not, it, it should not be robbed from the rich and give to the poor, but rather that every person would do their part, Amen. that every person would give from what they have. As God knows what He's given to all of us, it's not, a, uh, it's not a competition among us. We don't look to each other and say, who's giving more? God knows our hearts. And so God doesn't necessarily see how many zeros that we write. He knows how much He's given us. He knows whether we are actually giving in representation of that. He knows whether we're giving uh, uh, not just with our hands, but with our hearts. And He knows whether we're giving of ourselves, as God has ta- called all of us to give of ourselves. And We will never give our money if we do not first give ourselves. We will never give anything if we're not first giving our love. For God so loved the world that He gave. In chapter 8 and verse number 9, He gives the greatest example of giving in Christ. Look at chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. How many glad today that the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to become poor so that you could become rich. That He was willing to give of Himself so that we could be benefactors of His grace. And how many of us know that grace is simply unmerited favor? It's God giving to us what we don't deserve. So God didn't give because we deserved it. He gave because He loved. Uh, God didn't give because He thought the cause to be worthy. He gave because it was His will uh, to do it. And so we see this church at Macedonia in chapter 8 not allowing their circumstances to hinder their giving. Not allowing what was going on with their finances personally to hinder their giving. It was not a matter of circumstance for them. It was a matter of commitment for them. But then we see this church at Corinth who uh, Paul is dealing with who had a problem with giving. Who had made some promises in the area of their giving and was not making up, was not giving the way that they had promised to give. And Paul was giving the Macedonian church uh, as an example. He was giving Christ as an example to his church of how they were to give and the way that they were to give and the motive and the method for which uh, they were to give. He sent Titus, as the book of uh, Titus tells us, to set in order the things that were wanting. He sent Titus to them at Corinth to set these things in order to collect the, the, the gift that they had promised so that there wouldn't be anything wanting when that need was presented. And so Paul had no problem presenting the need of the church. Paul had no problem presenting uh, the, uh, the, uh, the demand, if you would, uh, to the church and saying, hey, listen, it's our responsibility for all of us to do our part. And while we may sit here this morning and have needs and wants and desires, how many know that we sacrifice the temporal on the altar of the eternal? That we don't do the reverse. We don't have this buy now, pay later mentality as a church. We're not living above our means. We're not trying to uh, go into indebtedness. And I say church, I mean individually. I don't mean organizationally. We are the church of the living God. Many people expect the organization of the church to live differently than they do, personally. But I tell you this morning that all of us have this mentality of saying, we want to free up as much as we can free up for the kingdom of God. 
Because that's what we're seeking first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we're not giving grudgingly. We're not giving out of duty. We're we're of a ready mind. We're giving the way Christ gave. We're giving uh, graciously. And I want to give you a few areas this morning, the time that we have left, of what our giving does. And it seems strange that we Christians need encouragement to give, doesn't it? It seems strange that we would need encouragement. When God has given so much to us and God had enriched the Corinthian church in a wonderful way and and they were hesitant uh, to share what they had with others. They were not accustomed to grace giving. They were using even their own spiritual gifts for themselves. They were not loving the way they should love as even 1 Corinthians 13 was a treatise to them on what true love was and agape love and giving and gracious love. And they were using their spiritual gifts to draw attention to themselves and glorify themselves rather than God. And their attitudes were wrong. And they weren't accustomed to this grace giving. So Paul had to explain it to them. And having explained grace giving to them, Paul then tried to motivate them to get involved in a special offering here. And he did this by sharing these encouragements. And I want to give you this. Number one, you. You. How this affects you. Giving blesses you. Giving blesses you. And Christians are not to compete with each other in their service for Christ. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.24 that as the church assembles and so much the more as we see the day approaching in verse 25, he gives us the motivation or he gives us the method for which we gather. That we would consider each other. Verse 24, that we would provoke each other to love and to good works. And giving is a good work. Giving is a habit. Not that we do to gain heaven. How many know it's not through our works that we get to heaven? But it's a work that we do because we are believers, because we are Christians. We understand it's not in competition. And when we see what God is doing in and through the lives of others, we ought to strive to serve Him better ourselves. There's a fine line between fleshly imitation and spiritual emulation. And we've got to be careful in this regard. But a zealous Christian can be the means of stirring up a church... And motivating uh, people to pray and to work and to witness and to give. I don't know about you, but I'm motivated by the zeal of our brother this morning and his desire to get the gospel to Argentina. I'm motivated by his zeal. And so there's nothing wrong with us spiritually wanting to emulate that zeal that's come from God to his heart for doing the will of God in the hearts of people. We're not here to fleshly imitate each other, but spiritual emulation, following men as they follow Christ is a biblical principle that He gives to us. And we understand that that's something that we can do. And when we give, it blesses us, but as we think about its impact, it provokes others. It helps others to understand that when we do what God's called us to do and we're convicted about it and we're graciously and and lovingly and willingly uh, doing these things, not for wrong motives, but for right motives, that it can zeal, it, 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 it can catch fire at a church, even bring revival to a church. Because how many know that the love of money is the root of all evil? We're not to be in love with our money and our possessions. To hold to them so fast, to, uh, if you would, to sacrifice the eternal and the altar of the temporal. That we would have what we want now. We don't want to be Esau or we, the prodigal son that uh, would, would, would desire to have things now for us so that We could not accomplish what God has for His will, for our purpose, for being here in this life during this time. And uh, Paul used the zeal of the Corinthians to challenge the Macedonians. But now he was using the Macedonians to challenge the Corinthians. A year before, the Corinthians had enthusiastically boasted that they would share the offering. But when they had done nothing, 
The Macedonians had followed through on their promise, but the Corinthians had not. It was the zeal of the Corinthian church that stirred the Macedonians to take part in the offering. But we found that it was only zeal that the Corinthians had. They were not keeping their promise. We can be zealous about doing good things, but how many know unless we do the things, it's not going to accomplish anything? We can be zealous about them. I'm all for zeal. But how many know that we should have zeal according to knowledge? We, had, we should have zeal that stirs us up to take action. That this, this zeal that we have needs to accomplish something. You know what I understand? As a pastor, part of my job is to have zeal to stir up the church of God to get busy in the work of God. That's part of the job of preaching. To stir people up. To stir Christians up. Yes, to, to help the uh, lost people understand their need for the gospel. But also that saved people, as we gather together as believers, get stirred up to doing the work of God and getting being involved in, in God's work. And it's exciting when everybody gets involved. Amen. It's exciting when we all do our part. It's exciting when we do uh, uh, as unto the Lord from our hearts. And so our giving... What does it do? Well, it blesses us. The Bible says in Luke 6.38, Give and it shall be given unto you. The Lord promised. It still holds true, by the way. The good measure He gives back to us, not always material goods, but it's always far worth far more than what we've given. Let me make this statement this morning. Give is not, giving is not something we do, but something we are. Giving is not something we do, but something we are. See, we either are giving or we are not giving in our hearts. It's not something we do, it's something we are. If we make giving about something we do alone, then we fail. Because God measures not in what we just do, but rather in the position of who we are. How many know that God is concerned about who you are? Not necessarily the things that you do, although He is concerned about the things that we do. And He wants our members to be yielded to Him as instruments of righteousness. But how many know that the key to doing the right things is being the right person. The key to accomplishing the right kind of works is letting God change us and transform us by His grace. And then we have a desire to do the right things. How many this morning, as a believer, have a desire to do things you would have never desired to do as an unbeliever because God's changed you and He's equipped you and He's, He's given you His Spirit. He's given you this desire. And so giving is not something we do, but something we are. Giving is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. The, the world simply doesn't understand a statement like Proverbs 11.24 that tells us one man gives freely and he gains more, another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. That's what the uh, uh, Proverbs teach us. Somebody holds on to his money, he goes to poverty. Somebody releases his money to the work of God and he's rich. You know, people in the world don't understand that. They don't understand how that even works. But how many glad that God's math is better than our math? That God's way is better than our way. That God's thoughts are are better than our thoughts. How many know that with with God, 5 plus 2 equals more than 10,000? You say, what are you talking about? 5 loaves, 2 fishes, 10,000 or more people. How many glad with God, 5 plus 2 equals more than 10,000? And that's our God. And that's the way His math works. And sometimes we forget that. We think that, you know, 5 plus 2 equals 7. I was never going to work on the budget, so I might as well just hold on to my 5. I might as well just hold on to my 2 because it's not really going to accomplish a whole lot. Hey, the the, the young lad that gave his 5 loaves and 2 fishes uh, got to see God do a miracle through those things because he gave the things that he had. 
Sometimes we hold on to things that we have because we think that it will not accomplish enough. But we notice in chapter 9, verse number 6, the principle of increase. We reap in measure as we sow. What does he say in, in chapter 9, verse 6? But I, this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You know, the principle really doesn't need explanation because we see it operating in everyday life. This is a principle of life that he gives to us. It doesn't need a whole lot. The farmer sows much seed. This farmer who sows much seed has a better chance for a bigger harvest. That makes sense, right? The investor who puts a larger sum of money in the bank certainly will collect more dividends. The more we invest in the work of the Lord, the more fruit will abound to our account. The Bible tells us Philippians chapter 4. Whenever we're tempted to forget this principle, we need to remind ourselves that God was unsparing in His giving. Romans 8. We just looked at this a couple weeks ago. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's what he tells us. He said he will freely give us all things. If he wouldn't spare Jesus for us, what will he spare for us? The answer is nothing. If we, being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts unto our children, how, uh, how our Heavenly Father, who is good, who is wonderful, will give. He's not going to withhold from us. He's going to meet our needs. Hey, I need this message this morning. The principle of increase, the the principle of intent. Look at verse number 7. We reap as we sow with right motives. He doesn't just talk about sowing and reaping, but he talks about intent. Verse 7. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. This speaks to the intent or the motive of the gift, not just the giving. Motives make absolutely no difference to the farmer, but they make absolutely a difference to God. In other words, if the farmer sows good seed and has good weather, he'll reap a harvest whether he's working for profit, pleasure, or pride. The motive doesn't matter to the farmer and the seed. But spiritually, God's saying, hey, listen, well, it may not matter in the farming community. It matters in the spiritual community. It makes no difference how the farmer plans to use the money that he earns. The harvest will probably just come the same. But not so with the Christian. Motive in giving or in any other activity or grace uh, habits that we have is vitally important. Our giving must come from the heart and the motive in the heart must please God. We must not be here, the Bible says, sad givers who give grudgingly uh, or mad givers because we have to give. The Bible says of necessity, that's a mad giver. But we should be glad givers who cheerfully share what we have because we have experienced the grace of God. Proverbs 22.9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. You know, if we cannot give joyfully, then we must open our hearts to the Lord and ask Him to grant us His grace. You know where we need grace? In our giving. You know, we, we should not be lawful in our giving. We should be gracious in our giving. In a sense of where we need a law to mandate to us to give. I'm not here in any way, shape, or form mandating a a law on giving other than a law that God has already written on your hearts through His Spirit as a believer. God has given us a grace to give as believers. As we're not under the law, we're under grace. God gives us the principles in the Old Testament to teach us the graces of the New Testament. He gives us the, the, uh, the, uh, the commandments of the Old Testament to teach us. He gives us the letter in the Old Testament to teach us the Spirit in the New Testament. It is the Spirit of grace that God wants us to give. 
we start to share God's abundant grace. The, the universals in this verse are staggering. Notice, look at chapter 9, verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency and all things, may abound to every good work. How many know that it's not good in an argument with your husband or with your wife to use words like always and never and, and, and ever and forever and all those things? But notice all these universals that he uses. He says, hey, listen, when it comes to these things, I want you to know that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That God is able to have all sufficiency and all things and to abound to every good work. Hey, that's a universal application that he's making here to us, saying that God is this way all the time in every situation. And that's how he is with us. And that's the principle of intent. Notice in verses 8 through 11, there's a principle of immediacy. We reap even while we are sowing. We reap even while we are sowing. In the process of sowing, we are also reaping. That's an amazing thing. Let me, let me submit something to you, church. Uh, we are a church with a 40-year history. We are reaping what others have sowed. We are reaping what others have sowed, and we are sowing so others may reap. Amen. We are reaping what others have sown, and we are sowing so others may reap. You understand that in our sowing, we are also reaping. Right. We have the benefits this morning. I'm thankful for what others have sown so that we could be benefactors of these things. It is God's grace. It is God's love that has given us as, a, as believers. And think about that not just in the history of our local church, but as we open a Bible in our own language this morning, we are reaping what others have sown, and we are sowing so others may reap. Think about that. People bled so that we could have a Bible in our language. People died so we could have a Bible in our language. And we are right now reaping. And we are hopefully sowing. How many know it's terrible when we only want to reap but not sow? Because we eat up all of the blessings without providing for any other blessings for others. That's the problem in our country. Uh, when we understand liberty, liberty. Patriotism is off refreshed. What? With the blood of the patriots. You know, we understand that others have to continue to sow and sacrifice so that we can have a future as a nation. And by the way, are we not part of a greater nation? We're part of a kingdom and a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Amen. And we are living for the kingdom of God. And we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And there is a principle here that he's introducing of immediacy. He notices what he says in verse number 10. Now he that ministers seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. He's saying uh, we reap even while we're sowing. This does not mean that God makes every Christian wealthy in material things. But it does mean that the Christian who practices grace giving will always have what he needs when he needs it. The grace of God enriches him morally and spiritually so that he grows in Christian character. The word sufficiency means adequate resources within. Adequate resources within. I have within me 
adequate resources to do what he's asking me to do. That's tough sometimes. Because sometimes we look without for the resources. When God says, I've given you by my spirit the resources within you, you don't need to look without. Because the resources you need to accomplish what God's commanded us, God's called us to do, are within us by his spirit. So we not only share God's grace, but we also share his righteousness. Paul here uh, quotes Psalm 112 verse 9 to prove his point. The psalm describes the righteous man who has no fears because his heart is sincere and obedient to the Lord. Look at verse number 9. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. If our hearts are right, our giving will be used to God to make our character righteous. Grace giving builds Christian character. Giving blesses you. I want you to think about this next. Others. Giving blesses others. Giving blesses others. Paul introduced a new word for the offering here. Service. It means priestly service. In verse number 12, look what he says for the administration of this service. Not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. He saw this collection as a spiritual sacrifice presented to God the way a priest presented a costly sacrifice on the altar. And Christians no longer bring animals as sacrifices to God because the work of Christ on the cross has ended that Levitical system. But the material gifts we bring to the Lord become, as the Bible says here, spiritual sacrifices unto God. Let me uh, say this. Grace never looks for a reason It only looks for an opportunity. Grace never looks for a reason. It only looks for an opportunity. In other words, if I'm giving through God's grace, I'm not looking for good reason to do it. I'm just looking for the opportunity to do it. I'm looking for for the opportunity. And as the opportunities come and are provided, as needs are are presented, the needs of the church, the needs of our, our missionaries, the needs of our future, as these needs are presented, as they're offered to us, we're not skewly looking at those needs. We're not critically looking at those needs. We're not trying to discover whether it's worthy of my giving to God or not. We're saying, no, no, I'm giving by grace. It's not a reason. It's an opportunity that I'm looking for. Because grace never looks for a reason. It only looks for an opportunity. You say, how so? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't look for a reason to save you? Did he have a reason to save us? In us? About us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, in his grace, didn't look for a reason to save us. He just looked for the opportunity to do it. By the way, when there was no opportunity, he made an opportunity because he's a sovereign God. He made the opportunity to show his grace to us. He determined in his foreknowledge, in his will to do it. He determined in his sovereignty to do so. Many people will give thanksgiving to God because of our sharing the meeting of their needs. Uh, We may not hear that thanksgiving on earth today, but we'll hear it in heaven as the church is gathered together one day. Grace, as it pertains to others, giving blesses others. And then I want you to think about this, and we've got to hasten for time. Think about God. We said you, we said others. We said, God, giving blesses you, giving blesses others, giving blesses God. Look at verse number 13. How does our giving bless God? How does it affect God? How does my giving to fleshly needs, to the needs of people, to the needs of the church, how does that bless God? Verse 13, whilst by the experiment of the ministration, they glorify God. 
for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. What's he saying? God gets glory. Amen. God gets glory. In other words, who gets the credit for our giving? Not us, God. Amen. That's what he was saying to the church at Corinth. You are not giving opportunity to God to give the glory through what he's given you. You're using it for your purposes. You're using it for your desires. But you're not using it according to what God has given it to you for. It's meant to glorify God, not to glorify you, not to glorify me. It's meant to be used for his desires, not for my desires. Because our giving blesses God. It glorifies God. You know, for what would the grateful Jewish believers give thanks? Of course, they would praise God for his generosity. Of the Gentile churches in the meeting, their physical and material needs. As, uh, can I remind you that these were Gentile churches giving to a Jewish church's needs? Wow. Talk about the breaking down of these racial discriminations that existed in the history. The breaking down of uh, what would be uh, at one time a segregation in the church of God that was meant to break these things down. That Paul was coming as an apostle. He, was a, he went to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, and an apostle given to the Gentiles for that time, reminding the Gentile church that they needed to give to the Jews' church in Jerusalem, that they need to meet their needs. We understand that grace, again, doesn't look for a reason. It looks for an opportunity. Their obedience to the Spirit of God gave them a desire to give. They would say those Gentiles not only preach the gospel, but they also practice the gospel. They do what God's Word says. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 9.13 gives us a little phrase that's significant. Look at verse 13. At the end of the verse it says, And unto all men. You know, the Jewish believers would give thanks that others were being assisted by Gentile churches. All men. Everybody. You know, it might be, it might be good for our churches to take inventory to see if anybody's giving thanks to God for our obedience, for our generosity. I don't know about you, but that is moving on my heart to watch uh, the, the one young man who gave a testimony about Miss Pritica leading him to Christ. His name is Delva. Delva is uh, now a college graduate, is also studying for ministry, and we're praying that Delva will be one of the national pastors that pastors one of those churches there. Delva has a heart for God. And uh, you know what Delva said? It would not be possible for us to be here and for us to accomplish what we are in ministry without your spiritual support, without your financial support. We need that. Hey, listen, you know what? Who was getting, who was getting the glory? God. God was getting the glory. You know, that's what we want to do. What does it do for God? And then lastly, this morning will be done. The church. It affects you. Giving blesses you. It affects others. Giving blesses others. It affects God. Giving blesses God. It brings glory to Him. But how about the church? Look at verses 14 and 15 and how the church was united. Chapter 9, verse 14. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You know, this was one of the major purposes that Paul had in his heart when he challenged the Gentile churches to assist the Jewish believers. You know, those that would have been extreme legalists in the church had accused Paul of being anti-Jewish and even being anti-law. And the Gentile churches were removed from the mother church in Jerusalem by distance and by culture. And Paul wanted to prevent a division in the church and he was sending a relief offering that was part of a spiritual prevention program that God had laid on his heart. 
In what ways this offering would bind the Jewish and Gentile congregations were so close spiritually, it would bring the church together. Can I submit this to you, that when we give together, we grow closer together. When we serve together, we grow closer together. When we unite in the doing of what God has called us to do together, boy, it brings us closer together. I feel, I feel the nearness to the saints that are there in those churches that we support uh, in different places because we give to them. And when we give to them, it brings us closer together. It brings our hearts together, though distance, though culture, uh, though, though race, though these things that segregate society in the world, they don't segregate the Christian church. They bring us together, don't they? And they're thankful for what they do and for what we get to do. The one thing I said in Sunday school this morning is the one thing that we taught the church that was there was that just because the church in America was going to support their pastor for whatever time we needed to, that that didn't mean that they didn't need to do their part in giving. In other words, they don't have a lot to give. Most of the people there make less than $2 a day if they make that. But does that mean that they are not obligated to give anything? How many know that that's the problem in our country when we say nobody has to give because they make a certain amount? Let me help us all out. Everybody should give and do their part. Everybody should give and do their part. It would be something that would save our economies, in the, but it would be, more importantly, something that would save our churches. Are you with me? Everybody needs to give and do their part. All of us are in different positions. We may come from different ethnic backgrounds. We may come from different social backgrounds. We may have different financial backgrounds. But all of us need to represent before God in proportion to what He's given us honestly to the Lord. And that's saying... God, what part do you want me to have to give? Let's not be the church at Corinth that allowed circumstances and needs, personal needs, to hinder us from giving. You say, well, I don't have a lot. Give. Remember what I said, 5 plus 2 in God's economy equals over 10,000. You say, I only have 5 loaves and uh, 2 fishes, then give it. The widow who Jesus took notice of, who gave all, as Jesus said, wasn't necessarily talking about she represented everything that she owned, but she gave of herself to the Lord. She gave from her heart to the Lord. She gave what she had to the Lord. And that's what we're all supposed to do. As we're not in law, we're under grace, shouldn't we so much more with such joy? It would bring unity to our church if we all did our part. Hey, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's what the Bible tells us. So we're bound through this offering. We're bound through prayer. Notice verse number 14. He talks about the prayers of their hearts would go out because of the surpassing grace that God had given them. When the Gentile churches, were the Gentile churches buying the prayer support of the Jewish churches? No. In giving, they were representing that they were praying for them, that they were loving towards them, that they were doing for them. It's when we give that we understand that we are doing what God has called us to do, and when we do it from our hearts, it's not grievous. Let me say this as we close this morning. You cannot separate the gift and the giver when your giving is motivated by God's grace. You cannot separate the gift and the giver when your giving is motivated by God's grace. I would encourage you as you leave here today to go back home and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 to give you the context and a sense of the example for the church at Macedonia, the failure of the church at Corinth, the highest example of the example of Christ, and the clarion call 
of the Apostle Paul and now the Holy Spirit to us as his church through his word for us to be obedient in this area of our lives. There's one thing that pastors will say is no fun to do, to preach on giving. Sometimes the devil whisper in your ear and say that some people will judge and say that this is self-serving in some way. You know what? God knows my heart and God knows my motives this morning. God knows your heart and God knows your motives this morning. And as we all have financial needs, can I encourage the church of the living God today to walk by faith and not by sight? Because that's what God calls us to do. It's not going to make sense ever in this world's economy for you to be obedient to God. As a matter of fact, it makes much more logical sense for you not to be obedient to God. But we don't need the world's wisdom because we have received through God's word the manifold wisdom of God. And when we have God's wisdom, and when we have God's grace, nothing can keep us from doing what God has called us to do as believers. And may no circumstance keep you or I from giving to the needs that are here and for the needs of those that we're seeking to support around this world for the gospel's sake. You know, I'm I'm thankful that God allows me to do this for a living, as it were. But can I encourage you this morning? I'm asking, my wife's asking, our family's asking how we can increase in our giving, how we can do more in our part in sacrificing for the work of God in this place. I'm thankful for the example of those in the past. I'm thankful for the example of uh, my predecessor, Pastor Siebold. I'm thankful for those that hazard themselves for the gospel's sake and followed the example of Christ that he became rich so that he became poor so that we might become rich. By the way, that's not something pastors are only supposed to do. It's something that the people, the church of the living God, is supposed to all take part in. And none of us can accomplish this alone, but we can accomplish it together. And you know what? Some people don't shy away from, you know, their, uh, their favorite artist and musician who's asking for a ticket sale of whatever astronomical amount of money, whatever their favorite uh, sports team, they'll pay, they'll drop $100 to go see them or however much money it is to have a ticket. You know, they'll, they'll, they won't shy away from what it costs to, you know, play, uh, go, go for a round of bowling and play in the league or basketball or golf or whatever it is that you do in your hobby? Why is it that when we come to church that we think it's wrong for us to ask for money when God tells us we're supposed to give? Isn't this a much worthy, more worthy cause than any of those things that we give so freely to? That we give, you know, we release to? You know, every, every purchase that we make has a price tag on it. We give and we buy and we purchase these things. We make car payments and we make house payments and we make... Hey, listen, why are we saying that the value of those things is greater than the value of what we're talking about this morning? The value of a soul and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not be that church that is so skewed. You know, we have politicians that are asking for you to give and you know, invest in their campaigns. This is the greatest campaign ever of all time. The church of the living God. You can give to it. And you know what? God is going to both understand where you're at and your needs this morning. And you know, when we give from the little that we have or the abundance that we have, we don't compare ourselves among ourselves, but we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ and say, as he's faithful, God help us to be faithful. As he's been obedient, help us to be obedient. God, as he's been gracious 
If you've been gracious to us, help us to be gracious. You know, in, in loving, we have to give. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Jesus said that. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you're willing to give and sacrifice for is what you love. He commands us not to love the world or the things that are in the world, but he tells us to love the church. Love the church. I love the church this morning, don't you? And I'm not talking about the buildings. I'm thankful for the buildings that God's given us. But I love the church, the people. That's why I want to spend time. That's why I want to come. That's why I want to serve. That's why I want to be a part. When we love it, it's not grievous to us. It's not just duty for us. It's not a drag for us. It's something we look forward to, something we love to do. God loves a cheerful giver. I want to ask you this morning to evaluate your motives before the Holy Spirit of God this morning for why you do what you do. I want to evaluate my motives through the Spirit of God through His Word this morning for why I do what I do. That's something we need to constantly take inventory of. Why are we doing what we're doing? I don't care how someone else judged my motives. I care about how God judges my motives. And so before God this morning, I want to have the right kind of motives. I want to do the right things for the right reasons. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.